Well, God is so good, isn't he? What a blessing uh, that he gives to us. Uh, truly, you know, as we were singing this morning, these songs of the blessing of God, when, when has God not blessed us? I mean, seriously, when have we not been blessed by him? I love it as, as the psalmist writes, he says, I've been, old, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. I mean, the reality is, is that God is nothing but good in our lives. And he is good, you know? And we're not always good, but God is always good. You know, it's amazing. You run into people and they'll tell you how good they are. I, I'd rather brag on how good God is, you know? And uh, I am not perfect. I am not complete. I'm not totally like him. He is. And in him, I stand complete. I stand perfect and holy, but only in him, not because of what I've done. Because uh, God is, is, is my strength. He's my portion. He's the one that I, my hope is built on. Amen? Amen. It's good to be back into our summer series as well as we are looking hard questions that God asks you, specifically some of the questions that Jesus asks us in his, uh, in his Gospels. And so this morning, um, the verse that we're looking at is from Luke chapter 12. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Ah, what a question that is. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Let's read it here in Luke chapter 12. Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says this, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor your body as to what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this as well. And he says, can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? Not even an hour. Can you add a moment to your lifespan? Verse 28 says, why are you anxious about clothes? And the things that we're anxious about, the things that we worry about, are many times things that are outside of our control. You know, it's interesting. He talks about the birds. You know, consider the ravens, you know, the birds in the field. Um, God provides for them. Now, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, there's this illness that's been affecting birds uh, in our area, right? And um, it's, all the, it's all the rage in the news for the birds. I mean, the birds are really tuned into this. And they've been really, you know, all the little bird newspapers that go around, they've been, they've, this one, the, the, the top issue, you know, and all the bird newscasts, all the birds are worried. They don't know what's happening because, like, you know, their friends are getting crusty eyes and falling over dead. <clears throat> that's not the case at all, right? You know, the birds aren't concerned because they know God's going to take care of them. I love it. The one said, you know, if you have a bird bath, make sure you put the bird bath and put it down. Don't fill it with, with... Listen, any puddle that's around a bird is going to go in that puddle. You know? I mean, they're not concerned because God's going to take care of them. You know? And how many of you feed the birds? Top ends, a bag. Do you feed the birds? And they're saying, stop feeding... The birds are going to eat anyway. If you don't feed them, guess what they're going to do? They're going to eat on their own. Now, through the winter, I actually fed some deer. We had a hard winter, a lot of snowpack up at our place, you know. And so I, I bought some corn and I put it out for the deer. I had the same deer that came to my yard every day about the same time. They'd actually line up, you know, to eat. I did it after hunting season, yes, okay. All right, but um, they would actually line up. And I, I look out the window, oh, it's like 4 o'clock. They're, they're waiting for their food, you know. And... Uh, 
But if I didn't feed them that day, guess what those deer did? They ate anyway. All right? So the reality is, a lot of times we worry about these things that really we don't need to worry about. You know? And, and uh, as Americans, boy, anxiety is a real part of our life. So Daily Mail did a survey of what are the top ten things that people worry about. Um, and they said work, money, being late, a friend or relative's health, our own health, relationships, missing a plane or bus, not waking up to our alarm. So a couple of those things you could actually take care of. Just, you know, work on your timeliness. You know, if you're worried about sleeping through your alarm or missing a bus or plane or being late for something, just work on your timeliness. But the other things, some of those things, your health is out of your control. I mean, God, you know, God knows that, you know, our health can turn on a dime, right? And so these things that fill us full of anxiety oftentimes are not things that we really need to be worried about. The great energy and resource waste of worry. I mean, think about this. Continuing to focus on the mistakes and defeats of the past, the nostalgic fiction of bygone days, and the imaginary events of the future prevent you and regulate you as impotent in living in victory in the here and now. And Boy, that is a, that, that is a really true statement that we in our worry about the future, the past, about things that we can't control, that we don't have any, any uh, you know, power over. We spend our time and energy and we invest so much in those things and we neglect things that we can take care of. We're supposed to live one day at a time. You can't live in yesterday and you can't live in tomorrow. You can only live in the present and God gives it to you as a present to live in this day. He who neglects the, fu- the present for the future is acting opposite uh, to the order of God, his own interest, and to every dictate of sound wisdom. <clears throat> right? And so let's see what the Word of God would say about this. Jesus in his Gospels, of course, preaches this. And then the guys that followed him, his apostles, uh, many of them uh, became leaders in the church and began to write about uh, what Jesus had said. And so one of the chief apostles was Peter. Of course, we know Peter as a young man. Peter always got himself in trouble with his mouth. Didn't he? He was always quick to speak, right? And quite often he got reprimanded for it. Or he was taught a lesson by Jesus. Like, oh, well, we pay taxes. I don't have any money, but we pay taxes. And Jesus has to rescue him and say, go down into the, go down to the sea, cast it, you know, a, a, a hook in there like Jason does all the time, and catch a fish, and the fish still be the money for our taxes. <laughs> what? Listen, if you find a spot like that, don't tell anybody, but tell me. We'll go together, okay? <clears throat> and uh, you start you start opening up fish's mouths and find gold and silver coins. You let me know, all right? But but Peter Peter knows about this stuff because listen, he's lived through a bunch of things in his life that has caused anxiety in him, and he's learned how to deal with it. And so we turn to his epistle, the epistle of 1 Peter, chapter 5, and let's see what Peter has to share with us about this idea of um, worrying. All right, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. <clears throat> so this is really a powerful passage from First Peter chapter 5. Of course, there's, 
the epistle, this letter that he wrote is, is sort of winding down here in chapter 5. And so he's, he's, like, he's like trying to really pull things together so the church could have an understanding of what God wants for them. And he gives us, in, this, in these three verses, he gives us three worry remedies that we can use in our lives. Three worry remedies that we can use in our lives. Number one, worry remedy number one is people of experience. God has given us people of experience in our lives. So, for instance, um, Pastor John and Heather got a, a new finish mower for their tractor, and so it came in a crate. It was not put together. It had to be put together. No instruction book. And so I'm like, I don't, not even a picture to go off of, you know? So what did I do? I went online. And I downloaded a manual for it. And in that manual, there was a full-color picture. And I'm like, oh, that's where that goes. That's where that goes. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And so it, it gave instruction on how to use it. How many of you, when you've needed, if you're like me, you're working on a project, you don't exactly know what to do with it. So what do you do? You go on YouTube and you pull it up. Because you don't have to learn every, you know, because you're stupid, you don't have to learn every, every lesson in life by making mistakes with it. You can learn from other people's successes. You can also learn from other people's mistakes. Do you know anybody that says, well, no, I need to learn my own lessons. I, I got to fail at something so I can learn. Listen, that is a foolish person. I don't know about you. I was the fourth child in my family. So guess what? I learned a lot by just watching my siblings. I learned what was going to happen if I did this, especially because my older brother was Bob. Bob used to get in trouble all the time. And so I'm just watching him. He's doing this, and then he gets, he gets a whooping. Well, guess what? I don't have to do that because I know what's going to come. If I do that, I'm going to get what? A whooping. The bolo bat's going to come out. Remember the bolo bats? That's that little wooden paddle game with the ball on it. They make that specifically to hit your children. Because you play the paddle game, five minutes, it's gone. The ball, the, the string broke off, and then you're left with this paddle in your hand. And like, what is this good for? Oh, I know what it's good for. Yeah, all right. Come on. How many of you ever got hit by a bolo bat? In your, come on. Right. That's right. That's right. And listen, it didn't do us that much harm, right? You know? And so, uh, uh, but anyhow, I was able to learn from other people's mistakes, too. And sometimes we mess up in our lives because we're just not willing to learn from somebody else. And that's why Peter says, listen, you're younger, be subject to the elder. Not subject to them because you're not as good as them. Be subject to them so you can learn from them. Because they, they've gone down this road before you. I know you're so narcissistic, you think what is going on in your life is the first time in history this has happened. The reality is many people have experienced exactly what you're experiencing. And if you learn from them, it takes a lot of anxiety out of your life. Because it's wonderful when you're in the midst of something to be able to look to somebody and see someone who went through it and is on the other side. And it gives you hope and help in your life for the here and now. And so, uh, you know, in our hubris, a lot of times we don't want to turn to other people. But we need other people. And sometimes, I, sometimes I've been helped by even those who are younger than me. There are people younger than me, that, that, that keeps getting bigger, <laughs> you know, the people that are younger than me, right? But sometimes people that are younger than me can teach me things too. And so we need to be subject to each other so that we can learn 
from those who have people who have experience in that. I often think of Solomon's son. I mean, Solomon is like the, he's like the richest king that ever lived, you know, at least in, in Bible times. And he's full of wisdom and everything. And his son, he, he dies and his son Rehoboam gets the throne. And all Israel comes to him and they're like, hey, Rehoboam, uh, listen, you know, your dad was hard on us. And so what are you going to be like? Are you going to be like your dad or are you going to be like easier on us? Because the, the load under your father was pretty heavy. And so Rehoboam has all of his advisors from his dad and they're like saying to him, hey, Rehoboam, tell the people that you'll give them relief, that you'll, you won't treat them like Solomon did. You won't be as heavy handed on them. But his young friends were around him and they're like, hey, you tell them that if you think my father was hard on you, you just wait. My pinky is as big as my father's waist. I have to imagine Solomon's waist by the end of his life was pretty big. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and so who does he listen to? He listens to his younger friends, and the kingdom was split from him because of that. I often think of all the years in youth ministry, you know, especially when it came to talking to teenagers about dating. A 14-year-old knows nothing about dating. Who do they ask for help when they want dating questions? Their 14-year-old friend who knows nothing. Right? And so, you know, you go for advice to somebody who knows as, as little as you do, you're going to get terrible advice. You know, but that's sometimes we have to learn that, especially when we're young. We have to learn to learn from those who are older and because when you're young, you think you know it all, right? And as you get older, you realize how little you know, <laughs> you know, and there are people that actually know something. So don't let your hubris get in, your, in the way. Let's learn from people who experience. Number two, worry remedy number two. And this, is, this gets really big here. It's walking in humility. And Peter, of course, Peter has to sort of come along with this. And, and really, um, Peter is speaking from experience here that he had to learn how to walk in humility. Because it didn't come natural to Peter. Peter was a braggart, right? And he was all about himself. But it's amazing as you serve time with Jesus how those things get whittled out of our lives. And so Peter talks about this. The promise given is if we do this, God will exalt us at the proper time. And so verse 5b says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Isn't that that's a great... Uh, visual there. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And so we, we, we're, it's inferred there that if we don't humble ourselves under God's hand, eventually he'll humble us, right? And that is, that's the truth, right? And so I've, let me just tell you this, I've learned to walk in humility, and as you walk in humility, God takes you out of that humble state and exalts you at the right time. And so often we try to exalt ourselves. We try to pick ourselves up. We try to put ourselves in a position of authority or influence or something else. And it's not the right time. It's so much better to let God put you in that position at the right time. Um, because if not, you may need to be humbled. So many people that get placed into a position of authority before their time end up being humbled by the mistakes they make. And let me just say this. In my life, I've seen this time and time and time and time again, where I've just tried, I've tried to stay humble before God, and then God has exalted me in so many different ways at his timing. It's so much better when you let God do it, you know? And how many of you have ever been in a place where maybe you put yourself in a position that you really didn't belong there, and you ended up having to eat that position, you know what I mean? 
and, and that's happened, and that's happened in my life too as well. Uh, but I thank God that most of the time God has exalted me in his timing. It's so wonderful. All right, worry uh, remedy number three. All right, so we have people of experience walking in humility. And then finally, worry remedy number three is casting our cares on Christ. And I love this verse so much. This, this verse has spoken to me time and time again. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I mean, it never, it never ceases to amaze me. When we sing that song, The Blessing, and we get to that, that part of the bridge where it says, he is for you, he is for you. Listen, I know God is for me, but when I start singing that over and over again in my life, wow, it's just like a fresh realization that there is someone bigger than me that I can take my anxieties to and give them to him. I'm, just, I'm not telling you I don't have anxiety. Because I do, just like you do. Maybe not as much as some of you, but maybe more than some. But I, I do have anxieties. But I have had to learn to cast that anxiety on Christ. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It means when you have that anxiety, you don't give place to it in your life. You give it to Jesus. And when you learn to give that anxiety to Jesus, you don't have to deal with this. If you're dealing with your anxiety, you haven't given it to Christ. You know what I'm saying? So many times we come to the cross and we, we lay our burden at the cross. and We're like, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for taking my burden. And we pick that burden back up as we leave. And the reality is when you leave something at the cross, you need to leave it at the cross. And as we cast our anxiety on him, that anxiety begins to melt away in our lives. So many times, so many times, um, there have been things that really could, were anxiety-producing in my life, things that, were, things that happened. And be honest with me, most of the things that we're anxious about are things that either have not happened or are outside your control, right? And so when so many times, so many times, over and over, as I've taken those things that I've been anxious for and given them to Christ, I don't have to deal with that anxiety. Now, it's, I, I didn't get there overnight, but I'm not saying I'm still not anxious about things because I still get anxious too. Does anybody else in this room get anxious or is it just a guy here? right? We have to willingly commit those things to Christ. And you know, when you commit them to Christ, it means you don't post it on social media then, right? If you give it over to Christ, it means it can't be part of your conversation 24-7. If you've given it over to Christ, you may have to actually take a step of faith and act like that anxiety doesn't exist anymore, right? How many people have had to learn that through this past year, right? Through the pandemic. There was so much anxiety out there. But what, what did you have to do? You had to get back out in public. And for some people, they really struggle with that. But the reality is, guess what? You lived. Some folks checked out for a whole year. Have they lived through that time? Guess what? Life still goes on. Those little envelopes with the clear cellophane in them still come through the mail. Right? I'm not going to be anxious about that either because doesn't God take care of us? Right? I don't know. I don't think any of you are homeless here today. God's take Did you eat this weekend? Yeah. Right? Has God taken... I mean, most of you are dressed nice. <laughs> no, you're all dressed nice. <laughs> Just see if you're awake. You know, you're still, you're still tuned in here? Okay, that's right. Don't look at your neighbor like that. Stop. 
I don't, I don't want to sound like some old dude, but, you know, <clears throat> I remember a day when at Christmas time we got two new pairs of jeans. That was my Christmas present. How many of you have more than that hanging in your closet now? And you ladies with your shoes, I'm not even going to go there. <clears throat> you know? How many of you ladies have more than two pairs of shoes? Shame on you if you're not raising your hand. You all have more than two pairs of shoes. <laughs> you know? God is taking care of us. I remember when we did a mission trip down in Dominican Republic, and uh, we were doing kids' ministry and construction. We were doing construction, and, and Josh Roberts and some of the Mary Marcinic and Mary Noldy were doing uh, kids' ministry. And the kids couldn't play the games if they didn't have flip, at least a flip-flop. They couldn't be in their bare feet because in the street, the sewer runs right down the middle of the street. So they couldn't play games. There were kids that couldn't play because they didn't have any shoes. My goodness, God has blessed us so much. Why, why do we doubt that he'll provide for us? I'm not saying what you're, not, what you're going through isn't tough. Yeah, because sometimes life is tough, and it comes at your heart, bro. But God is faithful, and God helps us through. There's a, an author by the name of Han Herland. And the solution for this is trust and moving forward in God. You know, trust and moving forward. Han Herland writes this. He wrote this last year before the pandemic hit. And so the numbers on this are a little skewed. But listen to this. I just thought this was really interesting. The West is experiencing a massive suicide epidemic. Famous individuals who have it all pertaining to wealth and fame are part of it. The numbers are alarming among Americans. Suicide is now the 10th leading cause of death. The rate has increased 30% over the past 15 years. Somehow, these individuals fundamentally lack inner peace, a sense of contentment, and find life to be meaningless. In essence, the person plagued wants more than he gets, desires more than he has, wishes for more than has been given to him. He steadily wants more. This is not a healthy competitive attitude, but the excessive greed that breaks down the virtues and churns the soul. These toxins are the product of man's own craving and lead to a state of pain, suffering, and dissatisfaction. The ever-present wish for more, be it in fame and glory, wealth, sex, economic dominion, or power over others, all boils down to man's desire. The wages of sin is death, proclaim the Holy Scriptures. The aim, therefore, is to avoid inner death both while alive as well as death in the afterlife. When the soul is disconnected from God, it is equally disconnected from the profound inner peace that is so precious, claims the religious. The religious will claim that this insatiable love for God contains the equally fuming inner peace. It is this peace that surpasses human understanding that Jesus said is his gift to his friends. The quest becomes to be his friend. Even in afflictions and persecution, the believer consumed by God's peace will overcome. Peace is the very ticket that enables one to go through the tribulations and come out of the tunnel victoriously. Yet envy, lust, and greed destroy both the peace and the spiritual friendship with God also for the Christian. Hypocrisy is the state in which a believer says he's a follower, but does not live in such a way that the peace of God consumes him. He may be religious regarding in tradition, but not of the heart. One of the benefits of believing in God and seeking him in deep prayer, one may say, is to receive a peace so strong that it surpasses any other feeling. It's a guiding peace that calms the soul, redirects the individual on a better path, and does, as King David said in Psalm 23, leads me to green pastures and soothes my soul. You are the lover of my soul, claims the awakened believer, who therefore is not that dependent on praise from others. It is, a God, it is God 
who is great and is to receive the praise, not us. This is what the atheist misses out on. To him, the world is without existential meaning, without hope, without the afterlife. The Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx world of God is dead prohibits their atheist followers from entering this peaceful world of mental bliss. So Jesus offers us peace in the midst of those anxieties of life. And that is one of the greatest things that he gives us, is peace in the midst of a very unpeaceful world. And there's no question that the world is messed up, and it's going to get more messy as time goes on. You know, even nature, you can see the messing in nature. And just so you know, the things that are going on in this world are because, again, the earth is groaning in anticipation of the return of the Messiah. Jesus is coming back, and the world is groaning for that. And yes, as the Spirit spoke to us this morning, you better be ready, because it's going to come like a thief in the night. But the reality is we can live even in the midst of the turmoil of this life with the peace of Christ that surpasses all human understanding. Jesus comes, and in, in, in uh, John chapter 14, he asked this question again, uh, a great question from Jesus. Have I been with you for so long and still you do not know me? I want to ask you that question. How many of you have known Jesus more than a year or two or 10 or 20 or 40 or 50 or 60 years, and yet you doubt the fact that he can provide for you. How do you not know that, Jesus? The psalmist asked, the, you know, made the statement, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. So why would you not trust the one who's always provided for you? Why do you not know him? Are you questioning who Jesus is? I want you to know he is my provider. He is your provider. He is for you today. He is your strength. He's your shield. He's your savior. He's your, uh, he is your healer. He is all that you need in your life. Jesus is all those things and so much more. Why would we doubt that he can provide by letting anxiety rule our lives? Jesus has never let you down. When, I mean, seriously, in your life, when has he really let you down? I've heard some people, they blame Jesus for some of their bad, mis their bad mistakes that they made. Well, guess what? Was somebody holding a gun to your head to make you make that mistake? Was somebody forcing you to make that mistake? Listen, you might blame God. You might blame your mom or your daddy. You might blame your pastor, but you made that mistake yourself. So turn it over to Jesus and see what kind of lemonade God could make with the lemons you chose. Right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. I look around this room. We've all made mistakes, but God has blessed us anyway. Some of you are really good at it. Some of you got like a doctorate in making mistakes, but God still takes care of you, doesn't he? And why would we worry about that? Why not give it over to Jesus? Amen? I, I saw a study that said if you look at China, India, the nations right around them, through the, all the way down to the Malay Peninsula, um, half of the world lives in that small place. In fact, more people live in that section of the world than all the rest of the world combined. And so there's this old Asian proverb that was, that was spoken that I just heard of, and I thought it was really uh, applicable to this idea of casting our cares on Christ. The reality is sometimes we don't trust Jesus with the things that we're concerned about, right? So if we give them over to him and we don't have to worry about them anymore, we've got to trust what he does. But I want you to know you can always trust Jesus. Because even if you take care of it yourself, God can do a better job than you can do. All right? I've seen that so many times in my life. I may be good about certain things, but guess what? God is better. He's always better. There was this proverb that was told, this story. It's called the parable of the fern and the bamboo. I've, I've walked through a bamboo forest. 
Um, in Puerto Rico, there was an incredible bamboo forest that I was in. The bamboo trees are incredible. They, they grow 100 feet tall. How many of you have ever seen bamboo growing out in the – I'm not talking about the thing on, on top of your shelf at your house. I'm talking about actual bamboo trees. They grow. They're amazing, beautiful, incredible things. And so this story is the parable of the fern and the bamboo. <clears throat> One day I decided to quit. I wanted to quit my job, to quit my relationships, to quit my spirituality. I even wanted to quit my life. I went to the woods to have one last talk with God. God, I said, can you give me one good reason not to quit? His answer surprised me. Look around, he said. Do you see the fern and the bamboo? Yes, I replied. When I planted the fern and the bamboo seeds, I took very good care of them. I gave them light. I gave them water. The fern quickly grew from the earth. Its brilliant green covered the floor. Yet nothing came from the bamboo seed, but I did not quit on the bamboo. In the second year, the fern grew more vibrant and plentiful. And again, nothing came from the bamboo seed, but I did not quit on the bamboo. In the third year, there was still nothing from the bamboo seed, but I would not quit. In the fourth year, again, there was nothing from the bamboo seed, I would not quit. Then in the fifth year, a tiny sprout emerged from the earth. Compared to the fern, it was seemingly small and insignificant. But in just six months later, the bamboo rose to over 100 feet tall. It had spent the five years growing roots. Those roots made it strong and gave it what it needed to survive. I would not give any of my creations a challenge they could not handle, he said to me. Did you know, my child, that all this time you have been struggling? You have actually been growing roots? I would not quit on the bamboo. I will never quit on you. Don't compare yourself to others. The bamboo has a different purpose than the fern, yet they both make the forest beautiful. Your time will come, God said to me. You will rise high. How high should I rise, I asked. How high will the bamboo rise, <clears throat> he asked in return. As high as it can, I answered. Yes, he said. Give me glory by rising as high as you can. And remember, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never give up on you. I will never, ever quit on you. <clears throat> so where you're at today, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I do know this. God's not quitting on you. God is still working out. We know because you know what the Word says. Even the Spirit today said we know him from the Word. We know that we can depend on him. I know that he who has begun a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I may not like what I see, but guess what? God is still completing things in me. And he's still completing things in you. You don't know what, you're, what, what God has to plan for you. We look at that little baby and we realize that baby hasn't experienced much of anything right now. But guess what? There's a lot of life that baby is going to be able to experience. God has great things in store for you. So not everything is good. She's going to do wrong eventually. She's going to be reprimanded. You know? When my kids were little and they did something wrong, we were quick to, to chastise them. Some, like my, one time I remember my mom going, oh, that's my grandchild. They're perfect. No, they're not. They're like your kid. <laughs> not everything in life is pleasant, but God works everything together for the good of those who are the called according to his purpose. The ones he loves, he loves you. He's working it out. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, I shared a couple of those verses before with you, but in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes along as we get ready for the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
He does. So what is it that you're anxious over? Listen, you're worried about whether or not this is going to happen in your life. God is going to take care of you. Right? But seek first. Here it is. But, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Don't worry. There's going to be trouble tomorrow, too. But if you seek the kingdom, God will take care of you. Man, if I can tell you, if there's any verse that sums up my life, it's that. You know? Some of the, some of the, you know, some of the choices I made were not for my betterment, but, man, God has used them and has blessed me so abundantly in my life. I am blessed beyond measure, beyond comprehension. What more do I want from God? I don't, want, I don't need anything else. He takes care of me every day. He does the same for you, too. Will you trust him for that? Do you believe him for that? A couple of months ago, I, I, I put up the control box. In that control box, this is actually, this is not the scale, because the control box should actually be smaller than what it shows. You can put up that slide with the control box, please. There we go. So now that green box that says control should actually be smaller, but we had to fit the letters in it. So it's actually smaller than that. That's the stuff in your life that you could control. And so if you're going to work on something, work on something in that control box. And then the bigger box outside of it is the, the, the box you have least influence in, maybe. Maybe your friends, your family, whatever. But the vast majority of things in our lives are beyond our control and our influence. You, you, you can't change what other people do. Anybody who's raised children understands that. You can't make them do anything. Even if they do it on the outside, they're not doing it on the inside. Right? But God takes care of the things that are outside our control box. Will you trust him for that? Do you believe him for that? Bow your heads. Close your eyes with me as we get ready to go into the Lord's Supper here. This morning, as God has been ever so faithful, ever so present in our lives, he's been so good to us. Has there ever been a time that he's let you down? I mean, seriously. You might say, yeah, Pastor Dave, you don't know, when God, you don't know what God did. You think he let you down? He just prevented something terrible from taking place in your life. That happens all the time. Well, it could have been better for me. Oh, it could have been a lot worse. But God is faithful. Do you trust him? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes to us, and he says, For I have received from the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night he was betrayed took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, Take, eat, this bread is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, Jesus knew that the next day he was going to, be, he was going to go through a kangaroo court and he was going to be crucified, and he knew that the disciples would feel like he left them and he gives them this piece of bread. And as they eat that piece of bread, it literally goes into their bodies. He wanted to remind them, no matter what happens in your life, I will be with you. Remember that. Remember that this day. If there's anybody that didn't receive communion as you came in, raise your hand. Uh, Laura's got them in the back there. Anybody did not receive their communion cups here? So my question for you is, do you trust him? Jesus, thank you for providing us with that meal at the Last Supper when you shared the bread and you said, this bread is my body. Thank you for always providing for us. Thank you that even your provision came for us 
through your being beaten, that because you were beaten, because you bore stripes on your back, we could be healed. Even right now, there's nothing preventing you from healing our bodies, even right now, quickening us, making us fresh, whole, sound. Thank you for your power in our lives. And so, Jesus, we take this bread today in remembrance and in honor of you. We receive it gladly in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Then the same manner after supper, he takes the cup. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Because your blood was shed, we can have forgiveness of sins. Your blood covers us and protects us. There have been so many times in my life and in the lives of these people, your people here today, when harm could have came upon us, but Jesus, because you were protecting us, it didn't happen. And I thank you that when harm did come to us, you've helped us through it. And so we trust you and we believe you and we thank you. And thank you most of all that your blood has set us free from the power of the enemy, of sin, of death, and hell. You've given us eternal life. Thank you for purchasing our eternity with your blood as well. We receive this now with gladness. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So do you trust him today? I'm going to play this last song for you. It's an older song. But may it minister to you as it asks this question to you. Do you trust him? You can go ahead and play that song. Thank you.
So maybe uh, you're here today and uh, you say, listen, I'm sort of struggling with that. I'm struggling with that trust. If that's you, and if it isn't you, you're going to struggle sometime. Stand up with me. Raise your hands. I want to pray a blessing on you. I want to pray for the Lord to watch over you, for your trust in him to be complete. So, Lord, I know that even right now that there are some that have raised their hands, that God, maybe right, they're right in the midst of this right now. They're struggling because of what they're going through. But, Lord, we as one body, we come to you and we thank you that you have been faithful, faithful to us. Lord, there have been times when it's been hard. And maybe even right now, there are folks right now that are going through a tough time. But, Lord, we stand with them right now. Because, Jesus, you have been faithful to us in our tough times. And so we stand with our brothers and our sisters right now, declaring that we can place our faith in you. We can cast our anxiety on you because you care for us. And so, Lord, we cast those things before you right now. And, Lord, I pray for a blessing upon your people this day. Touch them with your spirit and your presence. Make things fresh and new in them. Deliver them, O oh God. Allow them to experience the peace that surpasses all human understanding. And bring them peace. Lord, I thank you that you are for us in our lives. That you're not against us. That, Lord, we can turn to you in our point of greatest need. And then when we do, it says that you already know what we need. We don't have to invent it for you. We don't have to convince you of it. You know what we need. So, Lord, we thank you for this. Bless your ones now. Bless your people. Lord, for those who are in the midst of that struggling, show yourself strong on their behalf. Give them freedom and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord, bless you all. Thank you all for being here. Uh, come back on Wednesday night for our VBS.